Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, somebody I've worked with many times over the years, who is back for his second appearance on the podcast, Matt Halpern from Periphery, as well as Get Good Drums and many other ventures. You've probably heard me talk about Periphery as an example of a band that does things in a very intelligent way from a marketing and business perspective because they have their hands in so many different things. For example, their drum sample company, Get Good Drums, Misha's pedal company, Horizon Devices. They've got their Periphery Summer Camp. They sell sheet music, oh, signature gear, and some other stuff that we talk about in the podcast. And a lot of people have asked you for more detail about that. You know, if you're a band that's maybe not as established as Periphery or an influencer or creator of some other kind that doesn't have the kind of profile that they do, how do you get started in that? What if you were starting from nowhere, but you said, how can I diversify my business and create some of these other opportunities for myself? That is exactly what we talk about in this video, as well as the nitty gritty details of how they kind of run a lot of these things. We get into one of my favorite topics most recently, which is about leadership. And you might not think that you need to be a leader. You know, when people say that, a lot of people I think here, you know, they think about a football coach or, you know, a cop or someone else, you know, the military, some other thing that, you know, we may not necessarily identify with, but leadership really just comes down to helping a group of people do the thing that needs to be done and reach their fullest potential. And that is a super necessary skill in any kind of endeavor, including a lot of these creative ones. You know, creators always work with other people, whether you're in a band or, you know, for example, with my channel or with this podcast, you know, I have people like Deanna who help out. And you as the creator do need to be a leader. You need to be able to get other people on board with your ideas. And if you have ever tried to do that, you know that it's not always easy. Matt is a great leader and we talk about that in detail in this episode. So a lot of good stuff in here. I'm always excited to talk to him. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to mention a couple ways you can support us if you are so inclined. Number one is just give us a shout out on social media. Share this episode on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, wherever else. We appreciate all of it. It really does a lot to help out. Number two, you can buy some merch if you want. There's a link to that in the show notes. And we've got a bunch of new stuff that I think is pretty cool. And lastly, if you really, really love us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. There is a members-only private Discord server that I'm in all the time. Members get access to every podcast a week early. There's also a way to have me review your music or video or design portfolio or product or any other thing that you might want to get my feedback on. So if that sounds interesting, hit the link in the show notes. But before we get into this episode, let me answer a few of your questions. From that one scene, dude, do you think people playing music in bands are probably wasting time if they're trying to make a living off of it? 
There are two words here that I'm going to focus on. I don't know if this is your intention or not, but I'm going to take it here. You said playing music in bands, and that's what I'm going to focus on here. The idea of the band, is that the right move to make if you're trying to make a living off of it? And I would say in most cases, no. And it's very simple because that's more mouths to feed. Like think about a restaurant with two employees versus a restaurant with 10 employees. You have more overhead. It's harder to keep the lights on. It's harder to keep the doors open when you got to pay five people instead of one person. Now, I know that a lot of rock people have an emotional attachment to the idea of a band. And I get that. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you have to look at the numbers and be realistic with yourself. Like, can you really make five times as much money having a band versus being a solo artist or a duo? I think in most cases, probably not. And you also have to be honest, like, does the say bass player really contribute enough to be like a real member of the band? Probably not. You know, in most bands, the bass player doesn't play on the recordings. You may not know this, but in most like big bands, typically there's one person that plays all the guitars and bass, whoever the best person in the band is. Like, for example, uh, in Periphery, Nolly plays a lot of the guitars and basses because he's the best guitarist and the best bassist in the band. I mean, he's not technically in the band, but he basically is. So in any case, um, you know, now if the bassist writes all the songs or maybe is a great business person or adds value in some other way, then maybe that justifies them being essentially a partner in this business. But in most cases, they don't. And I'm not picking on bassists in particular. It could be the drummer. It could be one of the guitarists, whatever. But if there's somebody in the band who pretty much just shows up to be an instrument operator in a live setting... I would say that person is not worth being a member of the band. And, you you know, this is just the same as a business. Like if there's one person that does less work than everybody else, they shouldn't get an equal share of the profits, right? I mean, that's just the way business works. So for most bands, I would say there's one or two people who are really carrying this whole thing and the other people are just kind of along for the ride. And maybe you like them a lot as people, you know, maybe you enjoy being around them and all that is cool, but just don't make them like a member of the band. If you want to play shows, they show up and play and you pay them out of pocket or whatever, but they don't have to be a partner in the band. The other part of that in addition to kind of the economic side of it that I've talked about before is the marketing side. It's a lot easier to market one person or even two people, but I think especially one person than it is to market five people. It's people are just genetically programmed to respond and to connect to individuals rather than groups. This is why Elon Musk's Twitter account gets more engagement than the Tesla Twitter account. You know, this is why in any group like any, you know, any of the boy bands or whatever, for example, or Destiny's Child, there's always one person that ends up being the standout because we're just, we're programmed to want to connect with one person from Destiny's Child, not Destiny's Child as an entity. We connect with Beyonce because she's the standout star. So if you want to be in a band, go for it, but just go into it with your eyes open, knowing that you're making things hard on yourself and as long as you're okay with that, then great. But if you're not getting the results that you want, then you probably need, need to make some changes. And for most bands, I would say that means getting rid of a lot of people that are frankly just not pulling their weight. So hope that helps and thank you for your question.
I hope I'm going to say this name right, from Rixie Ake. Hi, Finn. These past months, I've noticed that you switch your upload days and time of the day that you upload. Can you tell us in depth why you did it and how to figure out the best times to upload besides asking Google? Thanks. Well, in all seriousness, I would always start by asking Google because any of these questions that you know, about kind of basic stuff about how social media works or any app works or anything like that. There's probably somebody that has written a very good article about this or made a great video about it. And I'm always happy to answer these questions, but I don't want people to rely on me or think that my, you know, answer to this question will necessarily be better than any of the 10 other people that have written a great article about it. So I would always start by asking Google. And I don't mean that in an asshole way. I just genuinely, that's how I start by answering any of these questions if I have one. But to answer your question, as far as there's there's two sort of separate things here, upload day and upload time. Upload day is largely determined by sponsor because I have a sponsor on almost every video these days now, which is awesome. Thank you, Tony. That really helps to kind of offset the fluctuations in, in AdSense revenue. If I have that baseline of like sponsors and I kind of have a sense of how much I'm gonna make every month and that really helps a lot. So the upload day is largely determined by that. Usually they will have some sort of a deadline, uh, whether that's a specific day or just a month. For example, like Skillshare uh, has committed to an ad every month until May, I think, like six months. So they don't care what day of the month it is. It just has to be at least one every month. On the other hand, someone like Raid Shadow Legends, they have like really specific kind of campaigns and they will require that it's uploaded between the 15th and the 19th or something like that. And then on top of that, there's also like how long it takes to approve them. So I'll send a draft to a sponsor and depending on who it is or what day of the week it is, you know, they might get back to me the same day or they might get back to us, you know, in three days or it might take two or three rounds of revisions to get the thing approved. So if it was up to me, I would probably upload the same day of the week every week, like Tuesday or Wednesday, um, if I didn't have to deal with sponsors. But since I do, that's largely determined by them. The only thing I have is I, uh, I don't upload on Mondays unless for some reason, the sponsor absolutely insists on it because I have a podcast that day and I don't want to put out two pieces of content in one day. Uh, and I don't upload on weekends because those are, well, you know, I, I here's the thing. I've never tried uploading on a weekend, so I actually don't know whether it would be better than a weekday. All I know is that what I when I upload on weekdays, that's kind of a safe bet. You're never going to go wrong uploading on a weekday, but I've never tried uploading on weekends because essentially like I don't want to take the risk of potentially, you know, having a video that doesn't do well because I experimented with uploading on a weekend. So, that's how I figure out the day of the week to upload. As far as time of day, that actually doesn't matter a lot for long-term performance of a video. In other words, whether I upload it at 1 a.m. or 9 a.m. tomorrow uh, over the course of six or nine months is not going to make a huge difference. Uh, YouTube has a video about this on like Creator Insider. If you know what that is, they talk about this. But what I try to do is upload it at a time where the most possible people will be able to watch it immediately upon release. So I upload now at 6 a.m. Pacific. So if you're getting up in the morning here, you'll see it like when you're getting ready for work or whatever. 
if you're on the East Coast of the U.S., which is like the majority of my viewers, Eastern Time uh, in the U.S., then that's going to be you know right as you're getting your workday started. And I, I know a lot of people watch at work or at school or they normally do in years that aren't 2020. And then Europe, you know, it'll typically be like afternoon or whatever for Europe. And so you can watch it there. So that's why I upload at the time of day that I do. But again, that doesn't really make a huge difference for uh, for long-term performance of video. So I wouldn't sweat that too much. But if you look in your analytics uh, in YouTube Studio, you can see what time of day people are most active on your channel. And typically you would wanna upload one or two hours before that. So for me, my most active time, I think is like noon Eastern time. So that's what time I upload. So hope that helps and thank you for your question. And with that out of the way, let's get into this awesome episode. Mr. Halpern, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you, I was just gonna say that was like the first time a sink has actually synced, like perfect. <laughs> There we go. Yeah. We've done a few of these. We have. Yeah. It's good to talk to you. Well, and I think it's good for people to know this is like the first time we've actually caught up in a while. There really was no prep to this aside from some texting here and there. So this is like a authentic conversation in that sense, like an authentic catch up. Well, we've, we've spoken enough over the years that I'm pretty sure we could probably go all day and uh, hopefully make a good podcast out of it. I hope so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't talked since uh, when? When did we do our last podcast? February or something like that? Yeah, it was and I guess that was was that this year? I believe so. It was the beginning of the year though. It was before the end of the world. It was, yeah, which is crazy because so much has happened since then. Yeah. Did you guys have tours planned this year or no? I know you've kind of been going a little bit lighter on that in the past couple of years. So we finished a tour February sixteenth in New York City. Good timing. Great timing. Which is amazing because it was like, I think there were like 2,500 people there. It was an amazing show. It was sold out and everybody's all over each other. You know, it's like a packed in room. And I don't think there's any way to tell, but I wonder if anybody actually got coronavirus in New York City, in Brooklyn at our show. I mean, I would have to think so. 2,500 people packed like that. I mean, it's not your fault, obviously, but. Yeah, I don't know. And what's weird is like Natalie, my wife, had like a horrendous cough for those two days and a bunch of people on the tour kind of she's the super spreader yeah maybe she is yeah she was traveling with us a little bit but the blood is on her hands i think everybody in my band and on that tour was a super spreader pretty much <laughs> i mean we were it was like right when things were right before it really ramped up and a, a bunch of people were getting sick yeah it's weird but you know what so i went and i got tested for antibodies a couple times and both times I've come up negative. So I don't know, maybe they just didn't stick around, you know, the antibodies or I don't know, but I I thought I had it. Everybody on the tour thought they had it, but who who the hell knows? I feel like everyone thinks they had it, you know. Yeah. I, I think I had it. <laughs> I have no idea if I did or not. But uh, by the way, speaking of your wife, have you seen the show Designated Survivor? Why does that sound familiar? I feel uh, like it's like a it's a pretty popular, like shitty show with Kiefer Sutherland on uh, one of the big networks. Okay, then no, I haven't seen it. The female lead on it, I was like, why does she look so fucking familiar? The female lead on it looks a lot like Natalie. I'm looking up the uh, the cast right now just to see. Is it that? Uh, oh, you're right, she does. It, Italia Ritchie. Yeah, I was like, why do I? Why does she look so familiar? Who who is this person? That's funny. Yeah, she yeah, does. So there you go. That's yeah. a, not hey, not a not a bad uh, comparison. Could do worse. Yeah, could definitely yeah. do worse. 
Hell yeah. I guess the big story for everybody, most people in the music industry, is like how much it disrupted their plans and their business. And I feel like of all bands, it probably disrupted you guys less than most. I think that's fair to say. It definitely did a little bit. We had, um, we did have some European festivals planned for June, which obviously all got canceled. And then there was another tour that was, we were waiting on an offer to go in as direct support on a, on a tour that never transpired, obviously, as well. So we did lose out on that kind of stuff, but it wasn't too much of a blow for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, the European festivals we were going to play, you know, they're so much fun. They're amazing shows, but they're not really like, quote unquote, money makers necessarily for the band. Like, they're, Oh, okay. I would have thought that they were. They are to a degree, but it's mainly like a, a marketing opportunity if you think about it from that perspective. It's not make or break. Right. For like, oh, this is this is where we're going to make all, all our money this year like it is for some bands. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not big enough on those festivals to really command crazy guarantees and make it worth our while. It's more so a chance for us to get in front of a lot of people and continue to try to grow the fan base so in that sense we missed out and then the other tour i you know it's hard to say because we didn't really have a formal offer so it's not like we had something and then lost it it, it kind of never really got and those fall through all the time for reasons unrelated to COVID anyway right yeah and then after that we were planning on just taking off to write a new record and just you know take some time which as we've probably addressed before there's no time frame f you know to that for us like we've kind of figured out that we need to just not you know set a deadline and let things happen so we could have been off for the amount of time that we're going to be off now anyway and we would have been fine and luckily everybody in the band you know as you were very kind enough to point out in your YouTube uh, video about us, you know, we, we all have other things going on and we all had plans aside from writing to fill our time and, you know, to continue to, to be able to earn a living while we were home. So you've got GGD, Get Good Drums, uh, obviously, which is you and Nolly and Misha and Dez. You've got, well, Misha has Horizon Devices you guys have all your other stuff like the sheet music and whatnot, signature gear. What else am I missing there? So Spencer does a lot of production. Jake has been putting out his own music. We all have individual side projects. So me and Spencer released King Mothership, that record. Misha put out a lot of his archived old material. Right. He's putting out a solo record. So there's music. There's the businesses that we all have, uh, some together, some separate uh, and then there's like individual pro projects that are outside of all of it that maybe some people, you know, don't even really know about. Like, I, I haven't really talked to you, but I'm kind of in the early, not early, but I would say middle stages prior to launch of a different education thing oh, cool. that I've been involved with for a while. So like, there's just a lot of stuff to keep us busy. We also launched Bottom Ramen Clothing, which was, which is a company that is essentially owned by periphery it's a merch company you guys kind of had that cooking for a while yeah me and mark started started it and then we are both just so busy that it you know and running a merch company is definitely a full-time job so it's not just put some shit up on a website and walk away from it exactly so we really you know in order to get it out there we needed the help so we brought it to the band saw you know kind of figured out if the band wanted to take it under you know or take it take it on 
And then that way we could get management involved. We could get the merch company that we work with already involved and they could really handle the day-to-day aspects of it, which makes our lives a, a lot easier. So, so you give up some share of the profits in exchange for not having to operate every aspect of the business. Exactly. And that's fine. So one of the big questions or comments, I guess, that I got on the video I made about you guys is people saying, oh, well, it must be nice to be a big, you know, huge band with a giant fan base like those guys to be able to do this stuff. But, you know, if my band put out pedals, nobody would care. And my response to that was, well, that might be true, but every band starts with nobody caring. You know, you can go look at the videos of Periphery's old shows at some little venue in Baltimore with 30 people in the audience. What would you say to anybody that is kind of, I don't know if envious is the right word, but looks at what you guys have going on and feels like that's unattainable for them? I would say, I mean, you could take that that position for sure and never try. But like if you don't try to do something, you really don't know if it's unattainable and a lot of that really just has to do with that step of like giving it a go and trying something you know and like when we when we launched GGD it did well initially like re- relatively well and i of course you can attribute that to the fact that like we have a you know had, had periphery we have a presence uh in that sense people know us as a band that is you know experience with recording. Nolly obviously had a, a reputation as a producer at that point. So sure, those things help. But there's plenty of other people that put out sample libraries that didn't do nearly so well. Totally. But I think there is a level of, you know, you have to, you have to account for like the effort put in the quality of the product, right? Which you know, if you look at our first library compared to what we're putting out now, it's, you know, it's nowhere near as, as good. However, we did the best we could to compete in a market that has some really great stuff. And that is also a big part of it. Like anybody can say that, you know, we're lucky and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, if, if the product was shit, complete shit, it, it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have done well, period, because it would have been very quick for people to say, yeah, these guys put out a product that was garbage. Don't buy it. Yeah. Don't buy that piece of shit periphery library that they're, you know, put out for a cash grab. Exactly. And and there's a lot of critics right now. Sure. <laughs> there's no shortage of those on the internet. Right. And even when we put it out, I mean, our fans are very critical of what we do. Our fans are very smart. They know music. They know production. So we we had to really take that into account before we launched a new product. It wasn't just the quality of the product. It was also like taking into account how we're going to market the product. And, and that's something that's evolved over a long period of time as a company for us and as a band for us, which we're still really honing in on. But I would just say to anybody who's poo-pooing that, it's like, well, if you haven't tried to do something like that yourself, then you don't really know if the reason is because we already have a platform. Does it help? Sure. Is there a level of luck involved in that? Absolutely. Is there a level of talent involved in that? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that like if you are a quote unquote no, you know, no name or nobody that you can't start something and be successful. And to kind of combat your other point, there are plenty of people in this industry 
who are no names, who have started businesses mm-hmm. in music production or you know creating um, virtual software, music software, who have been super successful just based off the fact that their product is awesome and that they understand that this community of music producers and, and people involved in music creation and production, they're always looking for new tools, for new sounds, for new ways to create. So you have an, an amazing chance to get a product in front of a lot of people if you create a good product and it will spread like wildfire because of the nature of the forums that we have and you know platforms people love to nerd out on this shit and share these things with each other and if it's actually good enough to share they will yeah and i mean dude there's so many platforms that you don't have to claim as your own that can help you get it out there you know like if a producer on urm ends up using you know, this small little plugin, well, there's a good chance that a shit ton of people are going to see it and it's not going to be a small little plugin anymore. So, you know, I think it really comes down to taking the risk, making a great product, standing behind it, and then knowing how to get it out there. So anybody can, can try to do it, you know, just know your strengths too, which we've talked about a lot. Sure. The part that I really want to poke at, because this is something I've realized is a, a really big issue, is what you said about that you don't know until you try, because what I've seen from a lot of people, and I've done this myself in the past for sure, I think there's a big problem in kind of the music world of people telling themselves, well, this will never work, so I'm not even going to try. I understand why, because... You know, it's scary to take a chance on something, especially when you're putting money into it. But I don't even think money is the reason for people. I think it's just that mental blocker of saying, well, I'm not even going to try because I know it won't work because of the following things that are outside my control. I'm sure you have encountered that, too. What would you say to somebody in that position, whether it's putting out their own product or just anything in general? I'm just trying to help people get over that mental roadblock of saying I'm not even going to try because I have already told myself it won't work. Right. Well, if you're completely putting yourself out of the game, then you're never going to be in the game. If you make a list of all the reasons why it's not going to work, and that's the only list you make, then it's not (laughs) going to work. But I would argue that you should make a list of all the reasons why it could work and why it will work. And if there are enough roadways that you could travel down to to get to that next step of, of, of the process, then it's worth trying. And I mean... I'm sure you've heard people say this a lot in the past 10 months, but like now is a great time to do something daring like that, you know, and you have to look at your, your life and what you do in your schedule right now and be like, okay, what, what am I doing right now with my days? And if I continue to not do anything different, how much available time do I have and in that available time, what the hell am I doing? Like if you got one of those time tracker apps and look look at how much time is allocated to PlayStation or Pornhub <laughs> and think about what you could do with that time. It adds, like if you just spend two or three hours a day or even one hour a day on something every single day for a year, you can do a lot. You can. And, you know, people always talk about like, oh, you know, you have to work really hard, which you do. And they talk about you have to put in the hours, which you do. But that doesn't mean like to launch something or create something or start something to to your point, it has to be, you know, 15 hours a day. It can be two to three hours a day. It might take, you know, you don't know over time how long it's going to take you to get it to that point, but like two, three hours a day will, will add up really fucking quick. 
especially if it's like focused work where you're not looking at your phone and fucking around. And, you know, if you really, I've noticed this with my videos is like, I've gotten a lot faster. And I realized the reason why is because I just forced myself to just focus completely on editing for like two or three hours. And I can knock out a massive chunk. Whereas before I was like going down the rabbit hole of looking at some comments and then watching this video. And I, so I, I said, oh, I've been editing for three hours and I didn't get anything done. But if I'm, if I'm being honest, I was probably only spending one hour of that actually editing. Well, that's exactly right. And I mean, if you think about if you spent all that time playing video games or, or you know, doing things that were really just for fun and, and leisure and entertainment to entertain yourself. I mean, I have to think that there are a lot of people who spend a lot of, a, a lot of hours doing those kinds of things at the same time complaining about not being able to move the needle with, with an idea they have. And then of course, you know, convincing themselves that they can't do it at all. Well, if you cut out the time playing video games, which honestly doesn't matter unless that's your business, you know, unless you're like a professional Twitch streamer and that makes you a shit ton of money and gives you a platform to expand out elsewhere. Why would you not cut that out and then be able to do something productive with your time right now? People are complaining about not making money, not having a job, not having something to do with their time. They're bored. They're, you know, they're, they're trapped in their walls. How can you be bored and yet also complain that you don't have money or a job? Like those two things, I don't know. that's so confusing to me. Yeah. And I mean, you know, even go back a, a couple steps from that. It's like, you could also spend this time learning. If you get to a point where it's like, okay, I do have free hours, but I still don't know how to do the thing I want to do. Well, then go read some books and, and mm-hmm. take some classes and, and, you know, form a game plan with that time before you execute, you know, like I, I say this a lot too. And, and I think it really applies to, you know, to people that, that do what they love for a living or like want to do what they love for a living. If you find something you love and you want to do it for a living, then you should take as much time as you need to do that thing for a living. Because if you love it, why would you rush it? Why would you rush to right. the finish line? Like take the time, learn about it, plan it, strategize, execute, fuck up, go back, fix what you, you know, fix what you, you broke and learn from your mistakes and try again. And like, know that, wow, I could do this for another 20 years and I can continue to fuck up and fail and learn from mistakes and come back even better. You just have to kind of get in that mindset. I remember when I was learning how to write code back in the day, you know, this was when books were still probably the best way to do that. I would get a book about whatever thing I wanted to learn. And, you know, these are big, thick, like, you know, 400 page books. I'm like, I'm going to go through this entire fucking thing cover to cover and I'm going to do everything in the book. And this is when I had a full time job and everything. And it was tedious. Like that stuff is not super fun all the time. But I went through the entire thing and I probably didn't even remember all of it. But, you know, in an hour or two a day. I would get up early, stay up late, whatever, go through the entire fucking thing. And afterwards, I was like, holy shit, I learned a lot. Now I know how to do this whole other thing that I didn't know how to do before. That's right. And maybe I'm not the best in the world at it. That's okay. But like, I, I know how to do this now. I'm off to the races. Uh, yeah. And you get better and better the more you actually try to do stuff. I mean, think about when you started editing and creating your YouTube videos. I mean, and then think about how far you've come in that process. And I'm sure there is a lot of actual reading and learning that you had to do at one point, but so much of it. Mostly just practice. Right. 
I was going to say. You know, for a musician, I think listening to yourself recorded is one of the best things you could possibly do because it's fucking brutal to hear yourself under that like microscope. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, oh, I thought I was a lot tighter than that. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. And same for my videos, just watching those afterwards and then comparing themselves. You know, my, our, well, we both know him, my, my friend Chase Jarvis, who you know as well, you know, his big thing is like compare yourself to the best and not like, you know, and, it, and it, there's a right way to do that. You have to be careful not to let yourself kind of go down the rabbit hole of feeling like you're a piece of shit because your work isn't as good as the best. But you should compare yourself to the best. Don't compare yourself to the guy or girl next door. You know, compare yourself to the best in the world and ask yourself, like, every time, how can I get one step closer to that? Like, if you're a drummer, listen to people like you and, you know, just every time, how can I get one step closer to where Matt is at? Yeah. You're not going to get there overnight, but I think that's, you know, that's the answer to any of these things that people want to do is, like, start somewhere and just get a little bit better every day. Yeah, and and I, I think there's an important note to make there, too. Like, when you're comparing yourself to others, it's not to copy others, it's to know and understand the level of quality or proficiency that is attainable, that is out there. And if you are going to get into any kind of business, you know, start something that would have competitors, like you need to know what you're up against so that you can position yourself in a way that is of equal quality, but still genuine and authentic to who you are. And that's another important aspect of this, which we've talked about a ton. It's like, Knowing yourself, knowing your strengths, knowing your specialty, the things that you're good at, and then, you know, building a team around you to fill in all your weaknesses. How much do you do that as a drummer? You know, you're you're one of the top names in your genre. Are you still listening to what other people are doing and kind of learning from that and pushing yourself that way? No, not really, because like, I just know there are so many amazing drummers and they're always you kind of have your thing that's different from their thing yeah and like i i'm such a huge fan of so many drummers but i don't really compare myself in any sort of serious way uh to where it affects me negatively you know i i certainly can be honest with myself and say i could you know i could list off 10 drummers right now who arguably you know this is a relative term are better than me right at whatever or at least at one particular thing exactly and it's like i know what i need to work on you know i know what they've worked on i know what i need to do but i also you know that's not really where i focus my time now i i get to watch so like could you could you be the blast beat guy totally maybe but you don't want to be right but you're aware i think that's important too is to like be aware of like well all right, this person is better at me at this particular thing. And if I wanted to go there, I could, but I'm going to choose not to because that's a choice on my part for whatever reason. Yeah, that's and it's just what somebody else is really great at. And, and I've gotten to a point where I really enjoy appreciating those talents that other people have. I mean, there's a there's a, a bunch of drummers that I see on my Instagram feed every day and I, you know, I, I watch them and I'm just like, that was awesome. And I'm, and a lot of times I'll share it on, you know, on my stories or I'll post about it or I'll tell a friend about it. And it's like, that's what it's about. It's, it's a, you know, you can choose to watch it as entertainment. You can choose to let it inspire you, or you can choose to let it beat you down and make you feel like a piece of shit, which I don't think is a good approach. I think inspiration is the best approach. And you just have to choose to look at it that way because you're never going to be 
the best at everything. There's always going to be somebody, you know, if you're a drummer, like there's always going to be a better jazz drummer than me. There's always going to be a drummer who's better double bass than me. And that's totally fine. And you know what? Like I want to watch those players because it's super entertaining and inspiring to see what they've been able to achieve. And that is to some degree, it's the same in the other areas of work in which I'm involved. However, I would say I'm a lot more competitive in those other areas of my life than I am in drumming. Drumming to me well, I mean, is just... You, you're, you're at such a high level with drumming that there's not a whole lot of room to move up there. So that makes sense. And I think it's more of an art too. Like it's, it's, a, it's an artistic expression in a lot of ways. And, you know, I've gotten out of that chip. You know, I don't have the chip on my shoulder to be better than everybody like I did when I was a kid. But when it comes to business and growing a company that has products to sell, at that point, you have to sort of have, I think you have to have a combination of like understanding your, uh, you know, who you are, what your message is, what your brand is, like being, you know, who you're supposed to be, but then also being cutthroat and competitive to, you know, try to win over market share in whatever market you're in. And that's a different approach. Like that, it's not, you could say business is an art, which in a lot of ways it is, but I think, you know, there's a lot more cutthroat chip on the shoulder kind of mentality, at least for me in those arenas, you know? You mentioned that word twice and I'd be curious. I I think I know what you mean by that, but tell me a little bit more about that. If you're going to invest all this time and all this money into developing a product that you're trying to get in the hands of as many people as possible. Like, let's say you spent, 30 grand or whatever, making a drum library. Yeah. Like I'm either just going to be willy nilly about it and like just blow it off into the wind and hope it does well, or I'm going to work my ass off with my team to make sure that that product does well and, you know, is, is of good quality to be able to do well and has enough fire and, 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 you know, momentum behind it to really make a name for it. I guess is, is sort of how I would explain it. And like, you know, you hear it all the time that, that like business is, you know, it's cutthroat, it's war. A lot of ways it is, you know, I, it doesn't mean I can't be friends with competitors, you know, because I am like, if you look sure. at, for example, if you look at GGD, right. And, and then you look at tune track, it's like, I love those guys. Like we're friends mm-hmm. with, with those guys, you know, I've known Bill and Matthias, uh, all of them for, for so long. And like, we're totally like pleasant and friendly, but of course, I mean, it's like, they know that we're a competitor. We know that they're a competitor. There's room for us both. It doesn't mean we're trying to snuff the other out, but you also have to try to carve enough space. But if you had the chance to maybe smother them with a pillow. <laughs> well, I'm sure they feel that way about us for sure. You know, they course, were, they were yeah. there first. So they, we're the, we're, exactly. That's, yeah. and I guess that's my point is like, you know, especially as you get bigger. This is something I've really come to terms with recently with some of the things I'm involved with, you know, like with URM, you know, we're not the new kid on the block anymore. We've been around for five years. We have more users than anybody else. You know, we have like our library of producers and artists that we've worked with is insane. I mean, you know, we've got everyone from bringing the horizon to a data remember to you guys to Opeth and fucking Meshuggah twice. I mean, who the fuck has Meshuggah on twice? Yeah. You know, and and Lamb of God, Suicide Silence. I mean, you know, you name it, you get on the list. And it's always I'm trying to sort of um, well, I guess I I have gotten out of the underdog mindset, I guess. I mean, in one sense, I always want to be competitive and I always want to have that scrappiness. But 
once you have sort of gotten like leveled up a little bit, you you have to um, be a little bit more sharp elbowed, I think, than you were when you were the little guy and you had to play nice with everybody because they could snuff you out of existence at any point. And when you get to be a little bit bigger, it's like sometimes you got to do the thing where it's like, you know, I, I'm I'm sorry that we have to do this, but it's like the Saving Private Ryan scene, you know, where he stabs the guy. Yeah, it's like, sorry, buddy, it's nothing personal, but we got to do this. Right. You know, we're gonna stop working with you because you did X Y Z, and that's just not okay. Right. And you know, it's it's interesting. I think once you get to a point where you establish yourself as a a staple, as a quote unquote leader or major competitor in an industry. That's actually when the real hard work yeah. begins because now you have to stay relevant. You have to continue to grow and rise up, but then you also have to, you know, snuff out essentially or like intimidate or I don't know if that's the word. But you, like, you have to, you have, you have to protect your territory and yeah. it's not me being an asshole. It's nothing personal. Like I want everybody to be successful, but on game day. If only one of us can win, it's, I want it to be me. Exactly. And I mean, it's, it's so funny, the cycle of this, like, again, I'm sure that when GGD, you know, came out, Toontrack was like, they wanted to flick us, you know, off their shoulder and get rid of us. And, you know, we kept just being pesky and annoying and, and we're still like, you know, they probably still feel that way. And that's totally fine. I expect that. And, you know, now we're seeing other people, friends of ours start, you know, companies that are competing with us. And it's the same thing. It's like, you know, we love you as people, but like, if you're going to step into our territory, if you're going to, if you're going to cross that line then like, you have to realize that like, it's not all fun and games. Like this is a very serious cutthroat war of business. And that's fine. Like, that's why they they say, this is just business. This is not personal. I I'm, I'd like to think I'm very good at delineating those two things. Like I can have a relationship and a friendship with somebody on a personal level but also be a cutthroat competitor with them on a business level at the same time. Yeah, I get emails, you know, fairly often from somebody that's putting out a plug-in or a drum library or something like that and you know, is asking me to help them or, you know, whatever and I always tell them no because of you guys and JST and Drumforge and like I well, no, I I, I wish you luck, but no, I can't help you. And you're in a position where it's like you know, like nobody's going to approach us to help them with their drum company, you know? Yeah, right. Well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. People are weird. Well, yeah. And I guess, I mean, we, we've certainly, we have certainly had. Hey, can you tell us, how, can you tell me how you did everything so I can do it too? And you know what? To be fair, yes, that has happened. That definitely has and happened. And you know what? They should ask. Why not? Sure. And like from a, from, I'll talk about business and like, you know, the ethics of business and strategy all day with people, you know, I'll, I'll share as much as I can. The things I'm not going to share are like, you know, the, the quote unquote trade secrets. You can know. you introduce me to your developer? Right. I'm not going to do no. that. Like you're right. <laughs> exactly. But I'll, but I'll talk about like, I'll, I'll help a competitor in any way I can. If they're a friend of mine and say, yeah. oh, like, well, here's some principles you should think about. Like if you listen to any podcast I'm on where we're talking about business, I'm basically doing that. Like there's, there's nothing yeah. I'm hiding at the same time though. I'm not going to like give you our team by any means. We've worked really right. hard to develop and, and cultivate relationships with an amazing team. And that's something that 
like we've earned the right to have, and you have to go through that rite of passage too. You know, I think that's a great point about these things is that you've earned the right to be sharp elbowed and aggressive. You can't, if you act that way on day one, then that's probably not smart because it's probably going to make people really dislike you and putting the extra effort into snuffing you out of existence on day one. But, you know, once you've earned your seat at the table, then I think it's a different conversation. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or 
go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And let's get back into it. One thing I wanted to ask you about in regards to, you know, GGD in particular, but I suppose it applies to the band and other stuff. Leadership is a topic that doesn't get talked about very often in our world. But I think that's a shame because it really, it's so important. You know, people think of that and they probably hear, you know, they, they or they hear that and they think of, some guy, uh, you know, at an all hands meeting at some big company or like a sports coach or something like that. Can you talk about what that word means to you and how it's relevant in your world? Because I think you are kind of the leader in a lot of these situations. Yeah. You know, what's been weird for me is like figuring out my place in a lot of the roles or a lot of the companies that I'm involved in. And I've over the past let's say six months to a year, I've really felt good about my role as a leader in that sense, a motivator, right? The, 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 the dad, the, the, the person who can really uh, oversee the people that are then doing the really important jobs. So does that mean telling everybody what to do or what does that mean? No, I mean, sometimes it does. Sometimes it involves like, you know, giving instruction and, and laying things out, but it's never done with a heavy hand of like, this is what you have to do. Fuck off. See you later. It's it's always like here's what I think we should do. Here's how we can get there. Here's you know what the strategy could be. Uh, I'm down to help. I'm down to answer questions. I'm down to get you what you need. I'm you know it's like or stay the fuck out of the way. Or stay the fuck out of the way. Absolutely. You know it's like look. It, I don't necessarily have. I guess you could call them like the soft skills that the other people that I work with have. Really, you don't think so? Well, in the sense of like. You know, I'm not the greatest um, video editor. I'm not great oh, okay, at mixing audio or anything like that. I'm sure. not great at like knowing about the the really technical aspects of music production. But I think what what my role has been has really been like the leader of the people that I'm involved with. You know, so me and Des, we talk multiple times a day. You know, we we are running the company. Um, Des is, is just as much an equal to me and, and everybody else, you know, that, that owns the company. But I find myself in a position where I'm really, I don't want to say managing him. I think that's too strong of a word, but motivating, staying on top of making sure there's efficiency. And I do that with everybody on, on the team. And I just think that happens to be one of my strengths that's, that, you know, is, equal to the strengths that the other people in the company have that are different than mine. For anybody listening, by the way, who's a fan of GGD, I want to give a shout out to Des. He's uh, really the unsung hero of the operation there. He may not, you know, have as much of a, you know, name recognition as, as the rest of you guys do, but he's a great guy and uh, I haven't talked to him in a while, but uh, always great to work with too. So shout out to him. A hundred percent. And that's the thing, like each one of us, I think is a pillar and has a very important, you know, uh, foundation as that pillar. And it wouldn't, I don't think it would work without the four of us at the core of this, but there, there definitely, I feel like is a leadership role that I've stepped into to make sure that, that the three other pillars are standing strong. And what's cool though, to be completely fair and make sure I give credit where it's due is in different areas of the business, I think each one of us step in as a leader where it needs to be. So like when we go into the studio to record a new library or to record a new, you know, a new product, Nolly is absolutely the leader in those scenarios. Whereas when we're talking about running the business and making sure things go smoothly, I will be leading the, the, 
the need for the operations to function smoothly. But Des is definitely leading the charge in terms of, you know, the actual items that we're working on and the technical product manager yeah exactly and i mean we all kind of go back and forth and and pass the torch but i think that's what makes it work and it's the same in periphery you know i do think that in the business side of things you know it's like me and misha tend definitely to be the leaders in in the business and i've definitely stepped up in the last year or so you know I'm, i'm running basically the merch you know choices and and doing all the stuff with the launches there. I'm running a lot of the, or not, I shouldn't say running, but I'm interfacing a lot with the business partners that the band has and our manager to, to do that. And the band has been so cool in allowing me to, to spread my wings there and, and stretch my legs there to do that. Whereas again, when we get into the studio and it's album time, Misha's the leader by far, you know? Um, but everybody lets each other hold the torch when it's necessary and that right there to me is is the crux of the importance of leadership i and i don't know everything mm-hmm. i'm a leader when it comes to my strengths and i'm a leader when the people around me allow me to lead but i never take the the leadership unwillingly you know like if that makes sense like i i, I haven't just it, it does, because I very stupidly, when I was younger, thought that being a leader was about taking control and forcing people to do what to do something. And I wasn't wrong about what needed to be done, but I was very wrong about how I approached it of like just telling people, hey, what you're doing is wrong. That's not the right thing to do. You have to do this. And I, I know it's right. And. I really don't want to talk about it because I already figured it out. Just do this. Right. And people do not like that shit at all. And that's obvious to me in hindsight. Yeah. (laughs) Who fucking wants to be talked to like that? But like, I think a lot of people think that's what leadership is. And it's definitely not. Well, that's the thing. It can be. But prior to it getting to that point, you really do have to have the all hands on deck conversation where everybody signs off on the strategy in terms of leadership, right? And in every in every business that I'm in, that conversation is integral before we start moving forward. I mean, there's a time and a place to like tell somebody, hey man, you need to get on board. This is what we're doing. So 100%. do it. Yeah. But that should not be your default. And I can think back to like so many conversations within periphery and multiple different, you know, conversations within the, the GGD team where We've kind of sat down and we've looked at things and said, okay, let's let's do a little bit of reshifting. Let's do a little bit of a reset. Let's change this here. Here's where this leadership role is going to be. Here's where this thing is going to be. And like everybody debates, everybody sort of throws out their concerns. But at the end of those very like productive and amicable conversations is an agreeance. And then we move forward. And then there you don't have to question it. And you know that everybody's coming from a good place. I think like Misha and Nolly are both very good at that of like very clearly articulating their thoughts, concerns, questions, whatever. And then, you know, committing to whatever the group has decided to do, like, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Here's my concerns, but, uh, you know, whatever you guys want to do, I'm on board. They've given me and Des all of their trust, you know, to where Des and I can now move a lot quicker and make a lot of decisions without having to bring them in on every conversation, which is how things were going for a while in the beginning, Mm -hmm. which took so much longer. 
it got to a point where we said, you know, are you guys comfortable trusting us with X, Y, and Z? And they said yes. And then we've just moved ahead. And, and a lot of it is like committing to your point, like committing to those things and being okay with it. And it's the same thing. It's like, I don't question Nolly when he decides that like, we're going to use these, this drum set, these mics, this studio. I have a vision for this. I'm not going to argue. He, right. that's, that's his thing, man. Like that's what he does. And like, by all means go for it. You have my trust and I'll back you. And he's accountable for that result. If it comes out fucked up, then there's a problem. Absolutely. We all are. We all are accountable for that, you know? In the same way as if you say, hey, I want to deal, do a deal with this distributor. Yeah. You're accountable for that because you've, you've proposed that. Yeah. And like so much of it lately has really been in the marketing arena because, you know, me and Dez have definitely taken a, a big step up in making sure that like, you know, we're creating and writing the content. We're, we're, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. I, I totally spaced on that. And no, it's okay. The creative, meaning the video and text and images and stuff in an ad makes such a massive fucking difference. And I feel like that's another thing that, you know, people think you just run Facebook ads and that's free money. But the specific creative that you use is such a massive variable. And I think you guys do a great job of that. Can you talk about, I mean, I think you have from the beginning, really, but you're, if you're, you're saying that you think you've gotten even better recently. Can you go into detail on that? I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, and I appreciate the, the compliment. I like, I think that's definitely been an angle that we've been exploring since the beginning. And I remember having conversations in the beginning of like, well, you know, we could go down the comedic route, but I don't know, maybe we should be more serious and yada, yada, yada. And I think over time, what we've found has been like, let's actually like have fun with this. Let's not yeah. worry about being serious all the time. Let's also like entertain our audience when we can, you know, and give them things to enjoy watching and, 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 you know, give them a chance to laugh at stuff and laugh at us and let's make fun of ourselves and let's just be goofy and show people who we are. And I think a lot of that came from the band, like from periphery, like that, like it's, there's, there's definitely a sense of humor that, that spreads from us to the audience and it works really well. And it's, it's kind of understood and it's the same thing now with GGD. So it's just a matter of like embracing that. But I think we also kind of came to an understanding that like, there are no fucking rules. Right. There, of course, you want to stay within the realm of branding. You want to stay within the realm of like who the company is, what we do. Like we're not going to start making products like like all of a sudden GGD is putting out a, a refrigerator. Like we're not going to do right. that. Like we know our lane, but how we market it, as long as it is tied to the brand, there are no rules. We could do something that's really funny. We could do something that's really serious. And I think we do like from mm -hmm. an education standpoint, we take that, that, that stuff really seriously and we put it into the hands of the individuals creating that educational content. You know, when Nolly makes a tutorial, right, right. It's, it's very thorough and, and it's real. Same with Misha. But when we're marketing a new product, it's really important that we enjoy it just as much as our, our, our uh, customers enjoy it. And like the way to do that is to just have fun with it. And I think that's been the biggest difference is we've just decided like, you know what? Like, let's just have fun. Let's see if it works. And it was a little bit of a risk when we started doing it, but now we see that it works. And there's basically no idea that's too dumb to try. Right. And I mean, if you knew some, I mean, you've seen some of them, um, I would imagine. And, and people listening have seen some of them, but like, we have no shortage of like totally stupid, dumb ideas that are also just really fun and entertaining. And 
it just goes to that, that thing of like, there's no rules. And I think that's a big lesson in and of itself. It's like, if you're starting a brand or starting a company, there are no rules to how you get it out there. Just like if you're a band, there's no rules to the music you write. There's no rules to the way you release music. There's no rules to how you do things. And the people that actually just like try shit are the ones that are probably going to find their lane a lot faster. But that's been a muscle that I've gotten to like strengthen and flex specifically, I would say over the past year where, you know, I wasn't necessarily involved in the writing of the material or the content. And now, you know, sometimes I'm writing stuff by myself and Des is sort of editing it at the, at the end. And sometimes Des is writing it and I'm editing it. Sometimes we're doing it together, but it's something that I've really enjoyed stepping into is like allowing myself to acknowledge the dumb idea and turn it into something that makes me smile. And it's enough to put out to the world. Why not? It's interesting to hear you say that because, you know, I was involved with GGD in the beginning and I never got the sense that you felt any differently than what you're saying. I feel like you were always involved with it. I mean, maybe not as deeply as you are now, but I never got the sense that you were like disconnected from it or, you know, uptight or anything like that. I feel like that's always been in the DNA of the team. Maybe to a degree, but I think I definitely feel a little bit more liberated in the sense that I like I have a list of dumb ideas that I write down when I have it and I don't feel embarrassed or goofy now presenting it to the team. I see. And the team is now totally okay with being like, yeah, that's so stupid, but let's run with it. Let's do sure. it. And then, you know, we figure out a way to produce it in a, you know, in a sense that, that, that works. And like a lot of it came from just me going back to what you were saying before, like looking at the best out there that's in that category. Like, I've watched every Geico commercial there is. I've uh -huh. I've watched the, you know, Dollar Shave Club commercials. I don't want to copy those guys, but there is definitely like a tone of like total like silly goose behavior, like squatty potty and what's the other one? Uh, there's the the mattress one. But yeah, those those uh it's the Harmon brothers that did a bunch of those. Mm -hmm. And they spent, you know, millions of dollars on those. Yeah. I mean, what's the, what's the one, um, the, I mean, I'm literally the, tushy. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like there's just so it works and it's just like, you have to kind of let go of your, of your doubts and inhibitions and like be okay with putting out something that's totally ridiculous. You know, that was, so this is a totally separate thing that I was texting you about the other day, but like I, for, for my, my Jeep, I had a company reach out to me for an exhaust system. And they were like, we'd love to come up with some really creative content. Do you have any ideas? And I was like, well, here's a really stupid outlandish idea, but why not put like me next to the exhaust and we'll have a rev off drum off. And it was so ridiculous that they were like, yeah, that's actually like totally stupid and shocking, but let's do it. And yeah. I don't even know how much money the company invested into creating that piece of content, but it like, it's cinematic. It looks like a movie. And looks we, amazing. we did it like we, we totally did it. And I recorded the audio and Nolly mixed it. And we put a lot of effort into making this piece of content that we knew from the beginning was totally goofy and was not meant to be serious. And the, the funny part about it was like, there was a, a, a sort of a, a big divide with the people that, that saw that content. A lot of people, um, I should say outside of YouTube, we're like, this is awesome and it's creative yeah. and it's totally stupid, but I love it. And like, I don't know what I just watched, but 
that was yeah. super entertaining. And then you go on YouTube and you look at the comments and it's like, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. This is so stupid. Why would you do this? Thank, I want my two minutes back. It's like you obviously either are just a troll or you really don't get it that this was not supposed to be something that is quote unquote serious. It's supposed to be fun. I do think that you could have done a little something in there to to tip your hand a little bit. Yeah. To sort of let people in on that, especially like on the um cuz that came out on the periphery channel, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I can I can see how somebody who you know saw that because they watched, you know, a periphery music video might not be enough on the inside to kind of get that intent. Yeah. Whereas if you're putting it on your personal social media, they would be. Sure. So I, I think it's interesting to see there how, you know, a relatively small difference, like just what account you release something on, you know, can really change the reaction. And, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. And I, I had a lot of conversations beforehand with like our manager, Periphery's manager and, you know, with Misha. And was like, are you sure? Like... I'm apprehensive to put it out on the periphery YouTube. I'm apprehensive to put it on the periphery socials. And their take on it was like, yeah, this is like, it's great looking content. It's fun. You're playing drums in it. So it's relevant to, to what we do as a band. Like, you know, it, so I, 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 re, I, I gotta be honest. I reluctantly went with that and I released it on those places. But I, I gotta tell you, like as I was hitting publish on <laughs> like the periphery that. socials, I was really like, I was anxious about it. And it, you know, it's funny, it put me in a weird place that day to where like I reached out to you and was like, dude, I don't know how to feel about this. And I, I followed up with Nisha and I followed up with Wayne, our manager. And they were like, dude, just don't worry about it. Like, It'll be fine. It'll be fine. In two days. And I yeah. did think about afterwards, like, how could I have positioned this differently for it to make sense? And I think what could have been cool, you know, could have been either just a different description about it or like, you know, some sort of prep where I'm like, hey, I'm behind the scenes shooting this really fun video that we're going to release on the periphery channel for you guys to see. It's definitely not serious. It's Or you, you could have said what you just told me is like, you know, I told Misha we shouldn't put this on the periphery accounts. I told our manager we shouldn't do this, but they, you know, they twisted my arm. So here you go. Yeah. You know, to just some, something like that, you know, to just if you added 10 seconds to the beginning of it. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. And for every, you know, to your point earlier, there's an equal number of ideas that we were like, this is, everyone's going to hate this. This is going to be terrible. And it turned out great. Right. And you're like, huh, they liked it. All right. Yeah. And, you know, you just have to like practice publishing, right? It's like, you just yeah. got to try stuff. And like, not everything. You can tell yourself ahead of time. You can always convince yourself why people are going to hate this thing. Yeah. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. But you just got to fucking ship it and move on. And you know what? The reality is, even in regards to that piece of content, you know, you even pointed this out to me. It's like probably 90% of the of the comments that we've seen across all channels has been overwhelmingly positive and fun. There's this 10% that's just like weighted so much heavier than the positive stuff that really stays with you. But I really do think that overall it was a success. And, you know, I've checked in obviously with, with the exhaust company and they've gotten great feedback and they've sold a bunch of stuff. So in that sense, there you go. it worked, you know, it did what it was supposed to do. Well, you're always going to pay more attention. You know, it's like human psychology, negativity bias, 
is that you're always going to pay more attention to the negative comments than the positive ones. You know, if I put out a video that has a 94% like ratio, like to me, that feels low. I'm like, God, only 94% of people liked it. Right. Because guess who is more vocal? It's the 6% of people that didn't like it. And that's just a game that, you know, if you want to put yourself out in public, you just have to get good at the game of managing your own psychology to not let yourself feel like shit because 6% of people didn't like this thing. I've always liked, you know, it's funny. I, I don't listen to Joe Rogan's podcast much anymore for no particular reason, just other than like, I, I only have so much time and there's other podcasts I like, but one thing that, that I've always kept in the back of my mind is his statement of like post and drop. So like, Yep. Post something and then walk away from it. Don't look at the comments. Don't look at your phone. Just like put it out there and let it do what it's going to do. And who Anthony could... Fantano told me the same thing. Yeah, just post and drop. He's like, dude, I don't look at the fucking comments. I post it and then I'm fucking out of there. <laughs> Which is really smart because it, it one, um, it's really good for your mental health not to spend time in those negative comments. But two, I notice that when I do spend time reading those comments... I'll look up and three hours have passed. Yes. And it, I'm like sitting there for hours, just like refreshing, refreshing, reading, commenting. It's like, why is this a good use of time? It's not. I like reading my comments because I actually learn a lot about my audience and what they want. And like that sort of gives me ideas for things. But I definitely need to spend less time on it because I've noticed the same. Like I, it, I'm like, it's one o'clock and I've done fucking nothing today because I spent two hours reading this shit. But, but it, it is a little different for you because that is your platform in the sense of like you are constantly publishing videos with your commentary on different topics and not only are you trying to like, you know, improve what you're talking about per se, but like video quality and like ways you're editing and also, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that you're trying to learn. So I think in your case, it actually is really important to find that balance. But I don't have to do it. You don't have to do it four hours a day. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I can get that done in 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's up to you. I don't have to refresh every 35 seconds to see the latest one. Exactly. And that's, that's up to you to determine what, what is right for you. But I think like for you, it, it, it's so helpful to get that feedback. For a band, it's less, it's less, you know, you need to know whether people liked it or not, but you don't need to know every five minutes. Right. And I got to give you a lot of credit because you picked a pretty tough medium i think <laughs> tough crowd yeah you picked a tough crowd but you forged through and like it's it's really working and like you really did carve out a big highway i say highway because it's not a lane anymore i mean you you have a highway that's now working and it's funny I'm, I'm seeing people that are now like trying to mimic you and like put out things that are really similar it's like dude you're you're not you're not gonna achieve the same thing I think it's great. I've always used you guys as the example of this. I mean, how many bands have ripped off Periphery? Literally hundreds, if not thousands. I try not to listen. <laughs> but all that does is elevate your status as innovators. Sure. You know, they're not taking anything away from you. The fact that this or that band put out an album that sounds like a shitty copy of yours, all that does is make people go, wow, Periphery is really influential. And by the way, they're way better than everyone else trying to copy them. All that does is build 
you know, your brand. And so that's the way I look at it. I've seen people copy me too. And I think that's great. Like if they're, first of all, if they're enjoying it, that's the most important thing. Yep. And if they're getting an audience from that, that's good too. Like I'm happy for them. And if they do something better than I did, then good for them. Then I, I think it keeps us all sharp. So, um, you know, I do kind of roll my eyes sometimes at it, but I think it's important for people to, you know, take a step back and realize what it means if people are copying you. You know, they say it's the highest form of flattery. And it is, especially if you choose to look at it that way. It's a nice nod, you know. And then what's cool is like, then you have people. It's funny. I, I had a conversation with Tim Henson from Polyphia when we were on that tour. And we hadn't caught up in person in a while. We were talking and he was just like, dude, you know, I was, I still am a huge Periphery fan. But like, I wanted to literally like have a band <laughs> like you guys. That's why I literally named the band Polyphia. Because, oh, really? You know, that's like, funny. And that's what he said. And what's so cool is that, like, you know, you listen to them, even their their earlier music, like, they, they don't sound anything like us. No. I mean, it's a totally different thing, and it's awesome. Especially now. Especially now. But, like, it's just, like, that's an example of taking inspiration and then doing your own thing with it and building a very successful project and a very successful band. Like, to me, when I think of my channel... It's a blatant ripoff of this. Uh, I've had her on the podcast, uh, Psych IRL. She does like videos about YouTubers and stuff. And I think of my channel as just a total ripoff of hers. Okay. But I don't think anybody else does. I don't think she does. Sure. Because I mentioned that to her and she's like, oh, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Well, I know that's the thing. I don't think that about Polyphia at all. You know, I, I really, I don't. Exactly. And so I think it's interesting that oftentimes the people who believe that they're ripping someone off aren't and vice versa. That goes back to the point that you brought up before, which is, you know, always be aware of, of who's doing things really well in your, you know, in, in your area, in, in, in the space that you're trying to work and don't necessarily copy them, but like be inspired enough to know what you like about it and what you don't and how you can incorporate those things into what you're doing. And it still can be very original. As Kanye said, ain't no motherfucking rules to this shit, man. Ain't no fucking rules. No, that's true. And yeah, man, I, I like the last, I think the last point just to bring up in, in that regard, it's just like, if you do have an idea that you're sitting on, why would you continue to sit on it and let it eat away at you? I, I had somebody reach out to me, a, a friend of mine, who's in a band, he reached out to me the other day and he was like, Hey, you know, I wanted to ask you your, ask you some questions about your previous experience with band happy. And I wanted to know why it worked and why it didn't and what you learned from it, because I have an idea that's rooted in music education and I really want to want to do something with it. But like, I'm apprehensive because there's so many other things out there. And I was just like, look, I'll be honest, here's what worked and here's what didn't about band happy at the same time. If you have an idea that you think you can do well, that you have control over, why would you not try it? Right. For the same reasons we talked about earlier. And for even more so, like the the world in which we live right now, it's like, why would you not do it right now? You have so much time and like, we don't, it's not like we have anywhere to go. <laughs> right. You got something better to do. Yeah. Even if you don't have time during the day because you're working on other things like work later at night and sleep later the next morning, like who, who gives a shit? Yeah. You know? So I think, I think 
this person is probably going to like push forward and, and try to do this thing. Um, and it'll be interesting and it'll, you know, if it, if it does work, it'll be a competitor to all the, you know, education platforms sure. that are out there, but there's always going to be someone new popping up. There's always room for one more. If that person is executing really well, always. That's right. And I think this person in particular will do a great job if they really put their mind to it because I've seen everything else they've done. And I mean, why not? You know, it's so anyway, yeah. it's just remember this too. It's like, if it's not you, someone is going to do the next thing. And that the only difference between you and that person is that they decided that they're actually going to do it. And then you're going to kick yourself in the ass for not doing it. That's right. Well, before I let you go, uh, I have one random question because I just made a video about uh, the big four of pop punk. <laughs> and, uh, and it occurred to me, I mentioned Avril Lavigne in there, and it occurred to me that you are one degree away from Avril. Can you explain for everybody how that works? Yeah. So my old best friend who I was in a band with all through high school and even into like college ended up getting the gig as her original guitar player in her first band. The guy with the blonde hair. Evan, yeah, Evan Taubenfeld. I don't know if you've had him on the podcast. You haven't had him on. No, but I should. I haven't talked to him in quite a while, but I should. You definitely should because he is somebody who also, who certainly has inspired me a ton and I learned a shit ton from, especially at a young age. But like I watched him get this gig as her guitar player and, and I don't want to, we don't have to drag this out, but I should give a little context. Like when this all started with her band, she had just gotten signed. Nobody knew who she was. No music had been released. So he wasn't signing up to be in the band for this superstar. Correct. It was just like, hey, we have this girl. The label was like, we're going to put a shit ton of power behind her and we're going to see what we can do. And we need to form a band around her because that's what it's going to be. And he got the gig. And um, next thing you know, it is gigantic. You know, it literally went from zero to arenas and gigantic gigs all over the world. Uh, all over MTV, just massive, massive splash that it made. And, you know, he could have just been her guitar player in the band, but he's really smart and he's really driven and he read a fuck ton of books. I would say that's an understatement. Yes, it is an understatement. He went above and beyond to get to know every single person that was involved in breaking Avril Lavigne and making her into a success and used his skills as a songwriter and as a fantastic businessman to become a, a writer that is now credited on her records and eventually build a career that now he has a really prestigious position in the music industry working with songwriters for a particular management company and, and label. He, I'm pretty sure, I don't want to misquote this, so I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he now brokers all the deals for songwriters to get publishing deals. I, I know he was, uh, he's one of the partners in Songs Publishing, and I don't know, like, I know they sold that, and I don't know where he stands on that now, but I know he was doing that for a while because a friend of mine worked for him. Yeah, and I, 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 if he's still with Crush Management, I'm pretty sure what he's doing is, you know, brokering the deals and overseeing the songwriters that are, that are part of that, so. that management team. And that is not an easy gig. So yes, I am one degree from, from Apple and now many more degrees just because I have so many friends who have now ended up playing in, in her band. 
um, over sure. the years. But and, and two degrees from Demi Lovato because Evan's brother was her music director. Yeah, Evan's brother was her music director. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean that's that's the cool thing about it is like you know he like Drew his brother just started playing guitar and took you know kind of uh, the torch from Evan and went further with it to be the music director, not just like the guitar player in the band. And that's so badass. And Drew's a great guy and he's a great musician and they're both really talented and really smart. And that's something that, you know, anybody should take away from. It's like, if you're going to be in the music business, you have to be ready to be well-rounded and do more than one thing. And, you know, Evan could have done a lot of different things. He could have gone in a bunch of different directions with this. He could have used it to just start his own project, which he did, but he could have used it to like join another band or do this. But he really used it for, I think what he realized was not only his main interest, but also one of his biggest talents, which is business, music business. And that's something he is so good at. And I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the industry, um, you know, allows it to be this in some way, like continues to to grow where major labels are a thing, which you know they are seemingly. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if one day he is like this the president or CEO of a major record label. Like that's how good he is sure. at at music business. You know, it's it's very cool. It's been very cool to see. It's been very cool to see. But yeah, so well, there you go. I should have him on. You're right. You definitely should have him on. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really I'd, I'd be interested to hear about you know the details of his journey and what he's willing to share there. And just something you should know too is uh, Evan and his brother are both, if they still, I don't know if they're how practiced they are, but they're both ridiculous magicians. Somehow that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> like really good at card tricks and like illusion and sleight of hand. And yeah. they will steal the watch off your wrist without you knowing. And it's pretty sick. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for making time for this and uh, always good to catch up and I'll talk to you soon. All right, bro. That sounds good. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. 
Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.